As we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us now to hear and obey what you say to us today. Through Christ our Lord, amen. The first scripture reading today, I'm sorry, is from um, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, Where are you? What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, he said. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness, to Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet of your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. 
and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. The headlines we have seen in the past several days are disheartening, to say the least. They are disheartening because this is 2017 and we still have white supremacy groups gathering and chanting words taken directly from the chants of the Nazi regime that my grandfathers fought against in World War II. You would think that we would have moved past that sort of disgusting, hateful behavior by now. The art is heartening because all these years after the words and work of Martin Luther King Jr. and other leaders of the mid-century American Civil Rights Movement, such blatant, overt racism is being shouted in the streets because a city dared to try removing an old statue. The headlines are disheartening because today, these hate groups, these extremists, they aren't even bothering to cover their faces with masks or hoods as they used to do, so brash and shameless is their hate. And many of them are doing it in the name of Jesus. If that is not taking the Lord's name in vain, I don't know what is. 1 John 4 tells us, that if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Those who would claim that their hateful, sinful behavior is based on God's word are liars. A friend and colleague sent me a text message yesterday afternoon that simply said, what the holy heck is happening in Charlottesville? And I didn't know how to answer. I knew that she factually knew what is going on there. She didn't need me to recap the news for her. She didn't need me to explain that a city meant to remove a statue of someone that is lifted up by many white supremacists as a hero, and that in retaliation these groups gathered to protest, that they shouted hate-filled, awful things, and that events unsurprisingly turned violent, because where hate is chanted, violence always follows. My friend was not asking for a recap of the headlines. This was a theological question. It was a cry of lament. It is a lament that many have echoed the past few days. What the heck is happening in Charlottesville? 
It feels a little bit like Ferguson a few years ago or Charlestown after the massacre in a church. Just when many people felt that we were living in a post-racial world, that we had gotten past racism, our country, especially the privileged sector who has never had to bear the weight of racism, was shaken by the realization that it is still alive and well. We are being forced to realize that it is much more insidious and much more rooted in our culture than we had given it credit for. We are still a nation that has been duped into saying all men are created equal and acting in exactly the opposite way. It's difficult to even keep up with the news right now. The situation in Virginia is chaos and it's changing by the moment. It's violent and it's turbulent and it's churning so fast that we can't keep up. It's like a rushing river or a choppy lake, much like the lake we see in today's gospel lesson. In Hebrew tradition, water and chaos are closely associated. Any place you hear water talked about in scripture, you can assume that there is probably something to be said about chaos in that passage. In the beginning, the earth was formless and void. It was chaotic, and the spirit hovered over the waters of chaos. When God decided to wipe the slate and start over with Noah and just a few animals, water was the chaos that tore the world apart. It is God channeling the chaos of the Red Sea that spares the fleeing Israelites from the Egyptian army. Water is unpredictable and it is dangerous. Water and chaos. We see the chaos of water in today's passage. If you've ever been in a boat in raging wind-torn waters, you might be able to sympathize a bit with how the disciples felt. They were already tired, having just helped Jesus feed a crowd of 5,000 men and their families. And then they go out onto the water to get ready on the other shore for whatever it is that Jesus has in store next. He hasn't told them yet. And along come these waves of rough, chaotic water. It says they were beaten by the waves, tired, beaten, tossed by the wind, but they don't seem afraid of this. As the seasoned fishermen, several of the disciples were, it would have taken quite a storm to scare them. Now, we see quite a storm scaring them in other places in the gospel, but not here. Here, it just says the water was rough. They aren't scared until they see a figure out on the water. And it's probably fair to allow them a bit of fear over that. People don't just show up strolling toward a boat on choppy water. That's not how physics generally works in our world. Now, I'm not sure why their immediate instinct is to assume it's a ghost, but I can understand why they're a little freaked out by this apparition on the water. That is what they are afraid of. They aren't afraid of the water. They are afraid of the one who commands the water. They are afraid of him because they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him, even as he is walking toward them. Do we recognize Jesus when he is walking over the chaos, commanding it, coming toward us? Or do we assume that we're merely seeing a ghost or a nice idea or wishful thinking or a mere earthly helper? 
And of course, Peter, being ever at the front of the charge, ready to rush in, says, if it's really you, Jesus, I'm getting out of the boat and I'm walking to you. And as soon as he gets out into the chaos of the water, he sinks. Because, of course, he does. It's so much easier to focus on all the chaos around us than it is to see Jesus standing right in front of us, holding his hand out to us. At such a time as this, we must remember to never allow the whelming chaos around us to distract our eyes from Jesus. What we see in this passage is that the Lord of all creation stands confidently on the chaos. He is Lord not just of that which makes sense, but that which beats us and blows us around. And he reaches his hand out to us when we are beaten and blown around by this sinful, hate-filled world. Perhaps the answer to my friend's question is not to try to solve the chaos single-handedly, not even to try to make sense of the chaos or to explain it, but to keep our eyes on Jesus. At this time, we must point one another to Jesus, and we must keep our own eyes focused on him as well. This is not to ignore the chaos, but to remember who has dominion over everything, the one in whom we are all united to one another. That's why 1 John says that the person who says they love God but hates another person is a liar. We are united to God through Jesus, and hate for one another, treating another unjustly, unfairly, unkindly, uncompassionately is the same as offending God in that way that we have treated our brother or sister. We like to talk a lot in American Christianity about personal relationship with Jesus. And at the risk of offending some dear ones who love that phrase, I think we need to say it with caution because it is a dangerous one. It is dangerous language because it implies that a relationship with God is between only two parties. This is the dangerous theology that John is warning against when he says that we must love one another if we are to truly love God. Our love of God is not just between us and God. It's between us and God and everyone else who God loves, which is, for the record, absolutely everyone. We do not always have to leave the safety of the boat like Peter did. Jesus didn't call out for Peter to come to him until after Peter challenged him to prove who he was. Sometimes we have to let Jesus work in the chaos and come to us. This is not one of those times. Today, we have to get out of our boats. Now you all know I'm a reader. I'm frequently quoting the books that I've read and sharing the titles that I have read. And one of the reasons that I read so much is because as Christians, we are called to constant renewal of our minds. Romans 12:2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. One way to step out of our comfortable boat of privilege is to read. And so I have a wonderful reading list 
for you out in the narthex for those of you who would like to begin reading. I have a much more extensive one as well, if that one is not enough for you, but I have spared you from the five-page reading list and have left you a one-page one. It includes different types of books that explore race, reconciliation, and the church's call to engage in times such as we are seeing this past weekend. I encourage you to start with any one of the books on the list and let it inform how you see and talk about what is happening around us. Many of them I already have in my study and will happily loan to you. And I would also like to add to that list the PCUSA Book of Confessions, which you can find online or also in my study for loan. Throughout our identity as a denomination are the tenets of unity, reconciliation, and justice. Those are values that our heritage is built on as Presbyterians. We recite most weeks during church the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, but we have a book of confessions that is this thick, my friends. Romans 12 goes on to say, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. As our minds are transformed, our actions must follow. Those who are gifted to prophesy, not fortune-telling, that's not what scripture is talking about here, but good old-fashioned, God says love each other, speaking out against injustice and hate kind of prophecy. Those prophets must step out today and prophesy. Those who are gifted with service have to find those who are hurting because of these tragic events and serve those who have been harmed by racism and hate. Those who are gifted with teaching have to get out and teach our children and our grandchildren the words of 1 John and of Matthew and of Romans, these words of love and transformation and unity and freedom in Jesus Christ. If you have the gift of exhortation, Go light some fires under some complacent, privileged butts. If your gift is generosity, there is a host of organizations that are out there doing God's good work of reconciliation, and they are always happy to take donations. I have information on a few of them in the back if you're interested. Leaders, lead with zeal. Merciful sisters and brothers, cheerfully show mercy to the struggling and the despairing. I have heard many people this weekend argue that we should just relax about this because these white power extremists have freedom of speech and all they're doing is exercising their freedom of speech. And they absolutely do have the freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean that they have the freedom from other people speaking against them with the words of scripture. They can say whatever they want, but we don't have to sit back and fail to counter them with God's word. We are not only in our right to speak out against sin and hate in the world against us, we are given a holy obligation to do so. 
I've heard others say that they want to find out more about who was violent against whom in the violent skirmishes before passing judgment on anyone on either side. And therefore, I challenge you not to worry about passing judgment at all, but to worry about speaking out peacefully and unwaveringly against those false prophets in our world who would say that they are better than any other or that others deserve less than they do. Just because there may be some people coming up against hate in ironically violent ways does not mean that the message of anti-racism and anti-hate is an invalid or a less important one for us to champion. It just means that a few folks' delivery was a bit off. Speaking up for others, jumping into the fray with words of love from scripture is not passing judgment. It is a fulfillment of our calling to preach the gospel to all people at all times. And that is a terrifying and chaotic call. But God's love casts out all fear. It is in the power of Jesus Christ that we are able to step out of the boat and to walk with him above and beyond the chaos, eyes on the one who has dominion over all that is frightening and chaotic in our world. And so hear now the words of 1 John 3, 16 through 24 and chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. 
because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have the confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother.